0: Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we're concluding our study of Ruth uh, this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I really appreciated Pastor Derek's opening to the book of Ruth. It reminded of him of often when he watches a television show and how they will start a TV show by saying something of this effect uh, with the application of Ruth. He, he said, well, good evening and welcome to Ruth, the Moabitess. And her mother-in-law, bitter Naomi. And now for tonight's adventure, um, you know. And he made sure that we knew that it was a true story, a, a historical story. But I appreciated his creativity, so I want to piggyback on it. Welcome back to the series called Ruth, the Moabites, and her mother-in-law, bitter Naomi. In previous episodes, Naomi, her husband, Imelech, and two sons, Mahalan and Chilion, moved to Moab to escape the famine in Judah. While there, her sons marry Moab women, Ruth and Orpah. During the time in Moab, Naomi's husband, Mary, uh, Mo, uh, during the time in Moab, Naomi's husband and two sons die. During that time, bitterness settles into Naomi's heart. She then hears that the famine in Judah ends, and she decides to return to her homeland. Ruth, her mother, her daughter-in-law, is committed to Naomi and returns with her. However, they do not know how they will survive. So welcome for tuning in for today's final episode. It's the end of the story. Now, sometimes I talk to myself, and this is what I'm doing now. Wait, 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 Pastor Ed. Wait, wait, wait. The end of the story is not really the final episode. Yeah, we, we may think of it as the final episode, but but Ruth, what we've been studying is just one story in a grand story. And as we study all the stories of Bible, the Bible, we got to keep in mind, always in the background, this overarching grand story that the whole Bible is pointing to, and that's the grand story of the redemption of mankind. If you study Ruth and lose sight of this grand story, you've lost the purpose of Ruth. Ruth might tell us, you know, my part in this story is over, but the grand story is not over. Ruth would say, I was just a small part. The Bible is full of different types of literature, you know, it has wisdom literature, it has poetry, prophecy, there's the law, the legal, and the history. Despite the different types of literature in the Bible, the different authors, the different time periods that they've been written in, addressing different circumstances, there is still just one overarching story, the grand story. God is at work to redeem mankind. When you take all the threads of Scripture and you stitch them together, you will see this masterpiece that we can call the grand redemption story. God's grand redemption story. History is God's story. History is a redemption story. And Ruth is a story in it. I like the the saying, uh, I've used it so many times, begin with the ending in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Let's jump ahead. Before we get into Ruth, let's jump ahead when God's grand story, God's grand story is ended and complete. What we discover amazingly, that God's grand story is really not the end when it comes to completion, but it's really a beginning. What we think of as an end is really a beginning. Here is what the grand redemption, when the story is complete or really beginning, will look like. See it in Revelations 21, 1-4. to We'll get it up there on the screen. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the grand redemption story. God is about his work to bring that day into existence. Ruth is just one part to point towards this redemption. Ruth paves the way and points to this grand story for us. They point the way because Ruth and Boaz are redeemers. To Naomi, they pay a price for Naomi's benefit to help her, to rescue her. Because she realized she can't rescue herself. And by Ruth and Boaz doing this for Naomi, and we having the privilege of looking in on it, we can see the value of a Redeemer. So that we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ the grand redeemer, who only one who can take away the sins of the world. So let's go back to Ruth and conclude her part in this grand story so that we have a deeper appreciation for our redemption. And I want to tackle this by answering three questions. What is redemption and why the need for it? What role does Ruth and Boaz play in the grand story? And then what is my role in the grand story? So the first one, what is redemption? Simple definition that I'm using. Redemption means to secure the release or recovery of person or things by the payment of a price. Biblically, you know, we are told that as humans, we once dwelled with God in perfect harmony, that Adam and Eve did, but chose wanting to be as God. Relationship with God was not enough, but man thirsted for more, for something greater than seeking power and control that was for God and God alone. Consequently, our relationship was broken. Like the law of gravity, there is another law that says when something is broken, when something is defaced or marred or damaged, somebody pays. Somebody pays. Um, Say you come to my house, and we're sitting there in the front room drinking coffee and you go to reach for your coffee cup on the end table, and you accidentally, with your elbow, you knock our lamp off the end table, and it falls to the ground and shatters and breaks. Oh, no, you quickly say, hey, I'll buy you another one. You pay. Or I could say, no, no, we didn't really use it anyway. Uh-uh. We have enough light in here. Don't bother. I pay. My payment is going without it. But somebody pays. Somebody pays. The damage has been done. It's irreversible. Sometimes uh, you may break something that you can't pay for. Say, uh, like you're at a museum of art. And admiring the Ping King Dynasty vase right there, it shows your clumsiness travels with you. And you accidentally bump it. It falls to the ground and shatters. This vase, I was told, is one of the highest artifacts in the art realm that sold for upwards to 15 to 18 million dollars you broke it. Somebody pays. You may say, oops, sorry. Go to the museum curator. Um, uh, Let me now see you're you're struggling. You're fishing for how you might redeem yourself knowing you don't have the money. So you may say, well, let me glue it back together. I'm sure it will look okay. Or how about I just go and buy a replica, something that looks uh, somewhat similar, uh, um, that might not cost as much, and then I can pay for it. Uh, Somebody's going to pay. Either you, by going into debt, or the owner of the item, by going without. Without. Life teaches us that when something is broken, somebody pays. Now, what if there is something that is priceless, that you can't affix a value on it? It's priceless. Something like a human soul, a person. You know, it's obvious that people are broken, But the brokenness that we see is only a sign of a deeper problem. Our brokenness is a commentary that something in life is not right. Something is amiss. Now, uh, people disagree with what it is that is amiss. What is the deeper problem that is causing the brokenness that we see on the outside We disagree, but everyone will tell you that, at least everybody that I ever listened to, will recognize, Christian or not, religious or not, will say something is wrong. And nowadays you will even hear non-spiritual people, people who don't believe in the Bible, they may even identify it and call it as evil. They're saying something is not right. you're probably like me, and what these folks are saying is, I wish everything was right. I want everything to be right. Everyone in the world thinks they have the solution for this dilemma that we have. You know, more money, different programs, better education, medicine, control what's on television. You know, all of these you know, are good. They can maybe reduce the symptoms. But if you understand how deep the condition resides in you, one realizes the only solution is for someone to redeem you, someone to pay the price for you. The capacity for evil or sin resides in each of us. It's a nature problem, not a behavior problem. It's a nature problem, not a behavior problem. And that's why we need to be redeemed. Some things have monetary value. You may redeem it for paying, paying for it a price. But things that are priceless, originals, priceless, the only one who can pay is the Creator. The Creator, the one who created that masterpiece, the one who created that, he's the only one who can pay. God, because of his love for you, has paid the price for your redemption and the whole world's redemption. All of mankind's redemption. That's why it's a grand redemption story. Because the solution, the hope is there. It's accessible to anybody. What needs to be redeemed is you. Not your behavior. It's you. You. Out of that, your behavior will start to be altered. I like the saying, it's a little uh, tricky to catch it, but you are not a sinner because you sin. But because you are a sinner, you sin. It shows the nature that is resident in all of humanity. You need to be redeemed. You are a sinner in need of redemption. So that's what redemption is, what it's all about. That needs to be in the back of our mind, the backdrop. As you're reading the whole Bible, this thread, this theme that is going to work itself to the passage there in Revelations with the new heaven and new earth, and there'll be this beginning new, a new creation, beginning anew. Have that grand story operating in the background as you read moving towards that conclusion. So what about the role to Ruth and Boaz? What role do they have in the grand story as we'll look at here in Ruth chapter 4? They're redeemers in their life circumstances. But their greater role is to point us to the grand redeemer. And they do two things for us, Ruth and Boaz. They pave the way for the grand redeemer, and they point to the grand redeemer. First thing a person has to do for uh, redemption for it to be applied to their account, to receive the payment that somebody's making to redeem you, you have to recognize your need and to receive it. You know, we saw this clearly with Naomi. It was obvious to her that she's in dire strait. She has a problem, and the problem is so big that she can't fix it herself. We saw that in the first chapter, you know, when they... Uh, go back to when they go to Moab and then her husband dies and then the two sons die. So you got to realize in that culture, uh, they were so patriarchal that the man was really the sustenance, the protector of the ladies. He would be the provider, the means by which they could uh, put clothes and shelter and food. And now she's without any male figures in her life. Not just her husband, but the two sons have passed away. She's a foreigner in Moab. And we read that she is old. So even if she could work, she was too old to be able to. Her life circumstances forced her to face the reality that she was helpless. Uh, See, that's how stubborn our hearts are when it comes to this redemption, the grand redemption story. And we hear hear this certainly uh, with addictions, you know, uh, uh, unless you hit the bottom, unless you hit the bottom, you don't see fully what's wrong inherently within you. But when you do, you can reach up and accept Redemption, that somebody's paying a price for you. Naomi, recognize. And so let's look here at chapter four and read how redemption comes to Naomi and Ruth. Um, let's read this here, Naomi and Um. Ruth, is also, Ruth also serves as a redeemer in the story because if you recall, she's younger. She could have, in fact, Naomi encouraged her to stay behind in Moab, her home country. Ruth was willing to uproot herself and to move to Judah where she now is emptying her way of life in Moab so that she can accompany Naomi, who she is so committed to, so loyal to, so loving, to serve as a redeemer for Naomi. Ruth, you could say, uh, reminds me a lot of Jesus Christ, who emptied himself and came to earth as a foreigner. Because of his commitment to you and I. But let's read this text 1 through 10 and see how Boaz then acts as a redeemer as well, serving Naomi. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, this is a kinsman redeemer. We talked uh, last week. A kinsman redeemer, somebody within the family line that's close and that had responsibility to uh, help assist when somebody and the family member fall on hard times. They could, in this case, uh, they could buy land that Naomi still um, had to her ledger, her, her credit as a way to help uh, the one who, fall, a family member who has fallen on hard times. Verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, this is Boaz talking to the Redeemer, The first one in line, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Imelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, but it's in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. By buying it, you're going to help Naomi. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, did you read the fine print? Do you know what you're getting in this deal? The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. See, again, you got. it's hard for us to understand this culture, um, uh, such a patriarchal society, especially uh, in this day and age that we lived in, you know, it was nearly impossible for an unmarried woman in that culture to provide for herself. Often women were not given the luxury of an education and training. And so they were so dependent upon fathers and brothers and husbands as providers and protectors for them. And this is one way that they would do it. Verse 6, then the Redeemer said, the first in line, then the Redeemer said, well, now that you threw Ruth into the deal as well, um, hmm, uh, I, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So if he took Ruth and then have offspring via Ruth, now all of a sudden his inheritance might, especially depending on his family lineage, might go all to uh, Ruth's uh, line. There was a risk there for this initial redeemer, and that redeemer was not willing. Boaz is going to have the same risk but he's willing. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. Ah, Wouldn't that be a great way to still do it? Rather than a handshake, give me your sandal. Give me your shoe. Maybe I already have a left one that will go with this right one. Verse 8, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Imelech and all that belonged to her two sons, Kilian and Mahalan. Verse 10, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan, I have brought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. See, family was everything. Boaz is doing a a most gracious, loving thing by providing for that family and that line, by redeeming, by being willing to redeem it. So Ruth and Boaz in history demonstrate to us the importance of redemption. That sometimes we get in difficult circumstances that only if somebody comes along and redeems or rescues, pays a price on our behalf, not always monetarily, might we endure, persevere. But they also pave the way. They don't just point to the grand redeemer, Jesus Christ, who's done the same for us because of our condition of needing redemption spiritually. But also, Ruth and Boaz paved the way. Jump down to 13, because it's through this bloodline of Boaz now taking Ruth They're going to conceive a child that's going to be a part of the bloodline that Jesus Christ comes from. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. May Boaz's name be renowned in Israel. We're talking about Boaz today. It has stayed alive beyond the time that he lived. Just as Jesus Christ. 15. Beautiful verse here in light of the journey that Naomi has been on. You know, she goes to Moab and she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. He shall be to you a restorer of life, this Redeemer. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, that's quite a statement to to ponder. um, Is more to you than seven sons? And you're going, how, how could this one gal be more of a blessing than seven sons? Especially in that patriarchal society. Uh, What they're saying here, you know, seven sons could be committed to do work for you, to uh, help provide for you, but that does not guarantee love and loyalty. Some values that we have that we understand would transcend all physical uh, things that seven sons might give you. And that's what Ruth has done for you, Naomi. Her commitment, leaving her homeland, taking a high risk living in a foreign country. And we know from her days there, uh, reaping uh, out there in the grain field, that Boaz took the time to protect her because he knew that the servants would take advantage or potentially would take advantage So Boaz sheltered her. So Ruth took tremendous risk. But it was driven by her love for her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she was willing. Then Naomi, verse 16, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And if you go to uh, Matthew 3, we won't do it here. You will see that genealogy of Jesus Christ. You'll see these same names appearing there because it's, it's out of this work, this act in history that Jesus Christ eventually comes. But the commitment that both Boaz and Ruth made was to be faithful, to redeem, not knowing what history would have in store for them by their act towards Naomi. So it brings us to what's our role? What is uh, your role in God's grand redemptive story? What role do we have? Because God's redemptive story, this history, It's continued. Even though the Bible is complete, God is still working, moving us towards that day when we will realize um, a new heaven and a new earth and a new relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. And you have a part in it. You have a part in it. What part do you have? Three things I'll offer you. One is be redeemed. First thing is be redeemed. Are you redeemed? Are you redeemed? Do you recognize, yeah, something's broken? Maybe it is deeper. Maybe there is something to this that uh, uh, mankind through Adam and Eve inherit this sin. And I can't change that. But God, would you redeem me? The Bible tells us that this part is not broken. This part of us that's deeper within us, the propensity towards evil, is not broken. But it's, we are dead in our sin. We are dead. Our state needs to be redeemed made alive, brought to life. And that's what God, through Jesus Christ, offers. God bore the cost to redeem you because He alone could. You are priceless. You can't even redeem yourself. Only the Creator can pay the price. Second thing, if you have been redeemed, be faithful. Be faithful unto God with what is in front of you. Ruth and Boaz had a relationship with the author of the grand redemption story. Uh, they, they knew their spot in history was a piece of something much larger. They did not know. It was not clear to them but they were just faithful with what god had put in front of them and certainly that faithfulness showed itself to how they responded to naomi they made decisions based upon believing god is telling a grand story that exceeds the role in time and history And we need to do the same thing. Uh, Sometimes, uh, you know, I won't engage in maybe a sense of what God is calling to me unless I can see the outcome. we got to let go of that and just be faithful. Uh, Look at what God was doing through Ruth and Boaz to propagate the lineage of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And the last thing is grow in bringing glory to God. Grow in how you bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 6.20, I think, tells us plainly, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your role in God's grand redemption story is to bring glory to God. Not glory to self, but glory to God. And that's not just in uh, behaviors how we typically think, but the inner attitudes of the heart. The anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the lust, the jealousy. Those do not bring glory to God. I think we have Ruth here in the scriptures so that we can look at this love that Ruth and Boaz had for Naomi how deep and stirring it was deep within their fibers that they paid a high price to carry it out, but they did so lovingly and willingly and drink in how on the human level we can see and observe that and then just think, what about God, my Father? How does that reflect on God, my Father? How He thinks of me, how He treats me, He emptied himself, taking on the form of man, living as a foreigner on earth, dying a criminal's death, all to provide for your redemption. He was saying, I will pay your price to rescue, to save you, so that you can go free. Out. Uh, conclude real quick with this little story that I I like and it's probably the one thing you'll hang on to little timmy um as far as I know it's not a true story little little timmy he built a, a wooden boat he, he and um he tied a string to it and he decided he wanted to float it in the stream near his house and he was floating it in the stream near his house but all of a sudden it got into some rushing water and the string broke and the boat that he built out of wood uh, went down the stream and he went chasing along the riverbank to try to capture it when it maybe came to shore, but it started getting dark and he couldn't find it. And he couldn't find it. He went home so sad. But then later in the week, he was walking uh, on the sidewalk to school and he noticed his boat in the window of the hardware store. And so he goes in there and he says, that's my boat, I want it. And the hardware store owner says, you'll have to buy it. He goes home, he goes through his drawers and he finds the money to go back to the store owner and here's the money. I'm paying so that I can get the boat back. And as he leaves, he says, you're twice mine. First I created you, and then I bought you back. Let's pray. Father, this is a marvelous thing that we need to take the time to ponder for most of us uh, to ponder anew, to refresh our thoughts in regard to redemption. Let it uh, awaken us. This is why we come and worship. If we understand the depths of redemption and what you have done on our behalf. So we give you thanks, Lord. Amen.